I love that old hymn. And then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. And when we sing, it's more than just voices, right? It's supposed to be more than just voices. As the people of God, our, our souls are giving God praise because he's so worthy. Amen, church? If you would, grab your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 3 is where we're going to be today. We're in a series right now called Pray Like Paul. And so what we're doing is we're going to God's Word and we're thinking about, okay, what might our prayers sound like if they are to be prayers of substance? And so that's what we're doing. We're looking at some prayers of Paul. But before we get to one of Paul's prayers in the book of Ephesians, uh, as you're turning there, I want to share with you the results of a survey I came across recently. Maybe you've heard of Max Lucado. Uh, He's a famous Christian author. He teamed up with Lifeway Research, and uh, they did a survey with Protestants in the United States and some things that Christians in the United States prayed for. Some are what you might call noble prayer requests, and some are maybe about some kind of smaller or trivial things in life. Uh, Let me share with you a few of those. 51% said they prayed for their own sin. Okay, so there's 51% of Christians saying, yeah, I'm owning my sin. I'm talking to God about it. 46% said they prayed for their enemies. Now, it doesn't say what they prayed for their enemies, but they're praying for their enemies, right? This is where it gets interesting. 20% prayed to win the lottery. Can I get an amen? 11% prayed for their favorite sports team to win. That might have been you yesterday. Uh, 9% prayed to find a good parking spot. And 7% prayed to not get caught speeding. And that might have also been you yesterday. Uh, But here's the thing. Our prayers... um, They might be a little aimless sometimes. If we're being honest, sometimes our prayers might lack depth. They might lack substance. And God's word teaches us about how we can pray. And should we pray about the small things in life? Absolutely. But our prayers should be more than just help me find a parking spot or help my sports team to win. We need to pray about some deep things going on in our own hearts and in our own lives. And Paul, in this prayer for the church, he reveals some requests that we can lift up to God. And these are requests that God loves to answer for his children. So with that being said, let's go to the word of God together. And here at Downtown Church, what we do as we initially read Uh, our text for today, we stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. So would you stand at this time? Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 reads, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So what we're going to do today, we're going to look at four elements that, is, that are in this prayer that we would benefit from, church, if we would incorporate into our own lives. Now, before we get to the four elements that we're going to consider from this prayer, let's first note Paul's posture as he's offering up this prayer. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 14. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Okay, so I don't think Paul is necessarily saying that, hey, church, every time you pray, you should physically bow your knee in order to pray. But I do think there's something to us posturing ourselves before God as we pray, as we sing. Throughout the Bible, if you did a survey of postures, there's actually a lot in the Bible about how we posture ourselves before God. And we'll, we'll talk about that in coming days. But just to name a few, uh, the Bible says that we can kneel. The Bible says that we can bow. There's texts where uh, David is lying prostrate on the ground before God. In the New Testament, you read about how New Testament believers were lifting up their hands in praise and adoration. And so you see these physical postures before God. And if I could offer an encouragement that's not on the slides today, don't be a spiritual bump on the log, okay? It's okay for your body to respond in worship and prayer and praise. And here's what I found in my own life. Even on those days when when I'm not feeling it, so to speak, that sometimes if I just, if I'm riding in the car, not with both hands because I'm driving, but if I just, as I'm listening to worship music, just hold out my hand, just as a cue for my heart, say, oh yeah, he's worthy. He's worthy of praise. And maybe it would be good for you to posture yourself physically. But whether you posture yourself physically or not, we need to posture ourselves properly before the Lord. Now, As Paul postures himself before the Lord, we begin to see these elements in this prayer come out. So number one, Lord, strengthen me through your spirit. Strengthen me through your spirit. A lot of times when we go to the Lord in prayer, we're we're asking God to do things here in this physical world all around us. Things that we encounter on a day-to-day basis. And here, Paul changes things up a little bit. He doesn't pray for what's going on around him or what's going on around the church. He prays for what's going on inside of the church, in the heart of the church. Look what it says in verse 14 again. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, listen to the request, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And so Paul doesn't pray for the physical things around the church in this prayer. He specifically lifts up what's going on inside of them. So uh, life groups, we've got several around here at Downtown Church. And every life group I've been to, we always take up prayer requests. Which I think is great, by the way, because God wants us as his people to be interceding on one another's behalf. The Bible teaches us that. 
And oftentimes what we're praying for are things like our uh, economic status, if uh, our job is on the line, or we're considering a, a change of job, or maybe we're praying for physical things like our health. We've got a procedure coming up. We've got a treatment coming up, a test coming up. And church, we should pray about those things because God's word teaches us that we should. But Paul teaches us something here that we shouldn't just pray about the physical things in our lives. We need to pray about what's going on inside of us. We need to pray about what's going on in our inner being. And so Paul's first prayer for the church is not economic in nature. It's not physical in nature. He's praying for inner strength. And whose power do we need, church? It's a Sunday school answer, right? Look at verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with what? Power through his spirit in your inner being. I think sometimes when we read prayers like these or we read stories about characters in the Bible, and in this case Paul, we have a tendency of taking Paul and we put him up on this pedestal and be like, well, yeah, Paul, he's an apostle, right? This guy's like a titan of the faith. There's no way I'll ever be like Paul. There's no way I could pray like Paul. But one of the things I appreciate about Paul was his, his transparency and his honesty. And if you read through Paul's letters, he's very honest about who he was. Paul was an ordinary guy. We got guys across the room this morning. Paul was just like one of us, guys. He was just a guy. Paul talked about how he was a sinner. He talked about how there were times that he did things that he wished he had not. Paul had regrets. There were times in Paul's life when Paul was struggling financially, when he was just poverty-stricken, and the Lord sustained him through that time, and he even had to work a second job making tents just to make ends meet. There were times when Paul was anxious and overwhelmed. He talks about that in his letters. There were times when Paul was angry. In fact, there was one time where a guy that he was mentoring named Barnabas, they were doing ministry together, and they had a sharp disagreement, which is a fancy way of saying they had an argument, okay? And things didn't go well in that argument, and they split ways. Their ministry went two different paths. I share all of that to say when we're thinking about praying like Paul, we're not thinking about praying like the apostle Paul. We're, we're, we're just, we're being encouraged by a brother that's gone before us. And he's saying, hey, we can ask God to do these things. And by the way, he loves to answer these requests. And we should lift up these requests. And so this request, Lord, strengthen me through your spirit. This is really cool because if we pray this prayer, and God begins to answer this prayer, our heart begins to change. And Paul alludes to that here in verse 17. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. If you're an underliner, I would underline the word so that. Okay, this is not a standalone verse. None of this is. It's connected to what Paul just said. And he's saying, hey, if you are asking God for that power, if you're pleading with God, please strengthen me through your spirit, then Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, you might be thinking, well, all Christians have the spirit of God dwelling in them. And you know what? That's true. 
The Bible teaches us that when we as sinners believe what Christ has done for us, that Jesus, the, the spotless Lamb of God, made payment for our sins on the cross and that he was raised up from the dead. And when we place our faith in that message, we are sealed. His spirit is given to us as a deposit, as a guarantee of things to come. And that is incredibly special. But that's actually not exactly what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about a level of intimacy an access to power, an access to his presence that we did not have before. So as we are asking the Lord, strengthen me through your spirit, it says here, look at that verse again, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The word dwell there literally means to be at home. So basically, church, what Paul is saying here is Christ is most at home home in you and in me when we're inviting the Lord to please strengthen us. And as we ask that prayer and the Lord answers that prayer, Christ is most at home in us. Look at Galatians 2.20. It's a passage you've probably heard before up on the screen. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul writes this letter to the church of Galatia. And he's saying, hey, if you see anything good in me, church, it's not me. It's Christ in me. If you see any hint of power, if you see any hint of victory in my life, it's not me. It is Christ in me. Maybe you're here this morning. And if you're being honest, you're kind of exploring the Christian faith. You're kind of curious about it. I want to let you know this morning that the Christian faith is so much more than simply a religious belief system. There's a lot of people that think that, that the Christian faith is simply, hey, here's a list of beliefs, believe these things, and that's it. But that's not what the Christian faith is. The Christian faith is sinners, okay? undeserving people who experience grace upon grace upon grace as they hold fast to that gospel of Jesus. And we experience so many things, but just to list a few, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and as Paul is describing here, the power of God in us, the greatness of God doing a work in our hearts. He changes us, church. And some of you are testaments to that. Praise God. Church, we do not live this Christian life alone. We don't bear burdens in life alone. We don't go through trials in life alone. We have at our disposal the strength and the power and the might of the Holy Spirit. So we can ask the Lord for that strength. Number two, Lord, load me with your love. Load me up, God. Uh, check, the, uh, check out the latter part of verse 17 going through verse 19. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Okay, so Paul, at the start of this, in the latter part of verse 17, he uses an agricultural term, which means farming, okay? So he says here that Christians should desire to be rooted and grounded in love. Okay, so we're here on the Gulf Coast, Mobile, Alabama. Most of us are probably familiar with hurricanes, so let's do a quick pop quiz here. All right, so when a hurricane rolls into town, the ground gets really saturated, the winds kick up. What is the first type of tree to get blown over? Pi- yeah, so I'm thinking pine trees. I, don't, I couldn't hear what y'all were saying. Pine trees often go down quickly because they don't have deep root systems, right? But there's other types of trees that do fairly well with the saturation and with the high winds, like oak trees. And they've got this extensive root system. The, the, the roots go down. They are rooted and grounded. The roots go out also. And Paul is saying here, hey, church, we need to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. And when we are, we'll be able to endure the storms when they come. And we'll be able to do a lot more than we ever thought possible. As I heard one pastor say, the deeper you go in the love of God the higher you'll go for the glory of God. Let me say that again. The the deeper you go for the glory of God, the higher you'll go for the glory of God. I messed it up. The deeper you go in the love of God, the higher you'll go for the glory of God. Bear with me. All right, so Paul goes on to describe the vastness of God's love. Look at verse 17. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Y'all remember the kid's song, Deep and Wide? That's kind of what Paul's doing here. He's saying, hey, let's think about the love of God for a second here. Let me tell you about how vast, how wide, how deep, how immeasurable God's love is for us and how we're actually incapable of understanding how much he loves us. When you're a kid, you think you know how much your parents love you. And then you get older and you begin to understand the sacrifices that your parents made for you, probably. And you begin to appreciate that. And then maybe one day you have kids of your own and you're like, whoa. That's the kind of love that mom and dad had for me. And that's kind of what it's like with the love of God. We, we can't fully comprehend the love that God has for us. If I could offer a word to you this morning, I want to simply tell you God loves you. Really. God loves you. You might be thinking, you don't know what I've done. You don't, you don't know about the sin that I've not told anyone about that I'm dealing with right now. You don't know about the trauma. You don't know about the mistakes I've made. I don't. But God does. He really does. The Bible says that God knows the number of hairs on your head. And for some of us, that's changing rapidly. He knows, <laughs> me included, he knows everything about you. And God loves you. And how can we know that God loves us? Check out this verse, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
And so if you're ever having a day where you're doubting, where you're questioning, how could God possibly love me or does God love me? You can always look back at the cross. You can always look back and say, oh yeah, he demonstrated that love for me. Christ died for me. And we can be rooted and grounded in that love and we need to ask for that. Number three, Lord, fill me with your fullness. Fill me with your fullness. Look at verse 19 here. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. So we've got three kids, and my youngest, her name is Abigail. She's five. Uh, I got home from work the other day, and I sit in my chair. Does anyone else have, like, their chair when they get home from work? So I'm sitting in my chair, and uh, Abigail walks up to me, and so I start messing with her. And I said, you want a piece of me? And she said, nope, I want hundreds of pieces of you. <laughs> I was like, all right. Here's the thing, church. Uh, God doesn't want us to just have a piece of him. He wants us to have hundreds of pieces of him. He wants us to experience his fullness in our hearts. And we can ask for that. We can ask the Lord to fill us with his fullness. But there can be a hindrance. There can be a reason why we might not be filled with the fullness of God. There's an old expression. It's actually over 400 years old that we still use to this day. If someone is conceited, if they're arrogant, they're full of themselves. We've been saying that for four centuries, okay? They're full of themselves. And you know what? That's true. Let's consider this truth together. You are either full of yourself or you are filled with the fullness of God. Let me say that again. You are either full of yourself or you are filled with the fullness of God. Church, we cannot have it both ways. It is one or it is the other. You cannot be filled with self and be filled with the fullness of God. And can I share with you a text? I was doing some studying and reading this week, and I, I came across this one, and I just was shocked at how strong the language is here. But I wanted to share it with you. Check out James 3, verses 14 and 15. So James is speaking to the idea of do not be filled with self. Okay? Look what he says. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Okay, so if you have these things in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Let that sit for a second. If we are filled with self, it's not only unhealthy for us, church. It is, it is unspiritual. It is demonic in nature. And that's, strong, that's a strong word, but it's used for a reason. And here's why. Satan loves it when we're filled with self. He absolutely does. Because if we're filled with self, we can't be filled with the fullness of God. And if, you, if you're not filled with the fullness of God, you're not experiencing his power at work in your life. Jesus also said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him, anyone know? Deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. This is crucial to the whole Christian faith. 
Which brings us to the last point of prayer in this section. Number four, Lord, persuade me of your power. So Paul did not view the Christian faith as simply a a religious belief system or a set of doctrines. There is that. But Paul believed in the power of God. And that was evident in the way that Paul prayed. Look what he says here in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Church, is our God able to do anything and everything that he wants to do? Absolutely. God can do anything. This is the God that spoke and light existed. The God that said to the waters, hey, that's far enough. The God that breathed life into Adam. Our God can do anything. Absolutely anything. Our God is able. And here's the thing, church. We encounter obstacles all the time. We encounter things that are just too much for us sometimes. We talked about that a few weeks ago. How there are times that we encounter things that are too much for us. But you know what? Our God is able. Maybe your marriage is in shambles. Maybe you're stressing about financial needs in your home. Maybe you're filled with anxiety about health issues. Maybe you're filled with fear because you have a wayward, rebellious child. Whatever the mountain, whatever the obstacle, church, God is able. He's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. God can do a work in your life that you can't even fathom you can't even imagine when God called Moses he said Moses I want you to go deliver my people from Egypt Moses response to God was you sure (laughs) I don't think I'm the right guy I'm not able to which God basically says you know what Moses you're right but I am I am able God went to Gideon a soldier told him to stand up against the Midianites Gideon basically had the same response. He's like, you sure? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I'm the guy, God. And God said, well, you're not, but I am. I am able. And time and time again, we see God doing this throughout the scriptures. If I could offer a succinct way of what I think Paul is teaching us here, I would say it's this. Pray big and ask big. Pray big and ask big. Is it okay to pray for the small things in life? Yes. But pray for God to do big things. Pray for God to change hearts in ways that only he can. Pray for God to provide in only ways that he can. Pray big, ask big. I do want to offer a clarification here. This is not a health, wealth, prosperity message. This is not a you go to God and you ask him for all this material wealth You get all the things you ever wanted in life, and God's just always going to answer yes. Let's pay attention to the motivation of Paul's prayer as we close. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. 
Why does God answer prayers? Why does God grant his people things like strength and love and filling us with his fullness? And the short answer is for his glory. Everything that God does is for his glory. And you know what? Just as Paul says here, he is worthy of glory throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. God is worthy of all glory. Will it bring God glory for me to pray about winning the lottery? Maybe, but that might not should be the focus of my prayer life. Maybe I should take a cue from Paul. Lord, strengthen me with your power. Fill me with your fullness. God, do a work in me that only you can do. And in the process of God answering that prayer, it's going to be an answer to so many other prayers for other people as well. So church, if I could, as we close, yes, pray for the small things. Pray for the health issues. Pray for the economic issues. Pray for the relational issues. Pray for the things that you're encountering in this physical world. But do not stop there. Pray for here. Pray for what's going on inside of you because God wants to do something there too. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes at this time. We're going to enter into a time of response. And I would encourage you to consider how you might need to respond to the word of God this morning. Maybe today you realize, as we were talking about, having the spirit of God coming and dwelling in us. Maybe you realize that's never happened for you. Maybe you don't have that eternal security. Today you can surrender. Today you can experience that indwelling of his spirit in your heart and life. Maybe today you're a child of God, but your prayer life has been really lacking. There's not been a whole lot of depth there. Maybe the Lord wants to stretch you a little bit, starting today. Lord, we know prayer is important. And forgive us for not treating us like treating it like it is sometimes. Lord, you know the, the spiritual temperature of every person in this room. Lord, if there's someone in here that is lost, I, I, I ask, we ask that you would convict them that they might surrender and be saved today. And Lord, if there are brothers and sisters in here that are discouraged, we ask that you might do a work in their inner being today, that you might strengthen them. We love you and we give you praise. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray.